This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories. Girl with Donkey by Thomas Kearns and Citadella by Julia Phillips. Bound Off is always looking for great stories. Visit our website at boundoff.com to find our submission guidelines. Also, we're entering our fifth year of free short story podcasts. If you like what you hear, please head over to iTunes and leave us a nice review. Girl with Donkey, written and read by Thomas Kearns. Listening time, 4 minutes, 49 seconds. Girl with Donkey by Thomas Kearns. Picture it taunted me the two weeks after the start of the fall semester. I'd shown it to all my new friends in the journalism department. They asked about its origin, but I had no answer for them. I didn't want to make waves, I said. I'd never had a roommate before, and I was determined that we'd become friends, get drunk, go to movies, eat together at the commons. But so far, Todd and I had done none of these things. The photograph remained a mystery, a frame of x-ray film for a patient I couldn't name. When he couldn't ask him about it, Bobby asked me. I never think about it when he's here, I said. Such bullshit, he said. I bet it's all you think about. Bobby liked to tease me, and I liked to let him. He never calls her. I listen to his calls, and no one I know speaks to his girlfriend that way. This was just a guess, of course. In high school, I never had a girlfriend. I was beginning to realize I never would. Maybe he likes to wait till he's alone, Bobby said. That's possible. Bobby and I sat on my bunk and stared at the picture thumbtacked on the wall over Todd's bunk. In the photograph, a teenage girl embraced a donkey. She stood beside it bent slightly forward, her arms wrapped around its neck. She was not a pretty girl. The ends of her long, white blonde hair looked limp and fried, as if she were growing out a bad perm. The acne scars riddled her cheeks, and the thick rouge she used only made the indentions in her skin more prominent. Still, her wide, sweet smile offered a certain appeal. It made others curious about her. She and the animal stood in a lush green field. Perhaps it was summer. A water tower loomed in the background, the name of Todd's tiny hometown painted upon it. You have to ask him her name, at least, Bobby cried. I have to know. He's not very talkative. You're the one who wants to be a reporter. Get the story. Laughing, I said, all right, I will. I have an idea, he announced, slapping the mattress. Get your camera. I always went along with whatever notion seized Bobby. Let's cut class and go to Munt's music. Let's speak to the cafeteria ladies in French. Let's run from the room to the community showers naked. I pulled my digital camera from my backpack. The memory card is almost full, I warned, handing it to him. He waved his hand in refusal and leaped from the bed. He bounced over to Todd's bunk and knelt atop the covers, pressed the side of his head against the wall. His nose brushed the edge of the photograph. Okay, he said, take the picture when I count to three. What the hell are you doing? Get the focus as tight as you can. It won't be funny if you can't tell what's in the picture. All right. Bobby counted the three. Immediately after, his tongue lurched from behind his lips and licked the photograph. My body jerked with the shock of laughter, but I held the camera steady. There was a dim blast of white. Did you get it? Hold on. I clicked the tiny silver buttons on the camera until the image appeared in the display window. His long, glossy tongue ran over the girl's body, his mouth jackknifed upward in a lewd grin. His bright blue eyes shimmered as they 
always did at the onset of a new wicked prank. He rose on top of Todd's bunk, excited. Well, I decided to be coy. Even then, I'd begun to notice that Bobby liked it when I put up a little resistance. He swept across the small room, his lumberjack's body making the move with just two steps, but I pulled the camera out of reach. Wait till I print it, I said. Bastard. You'll live. Let's find a party. I printed the photograph of him licking the girl using an unattended computer in one of the journalism buildings, but I never got to show it to him. A week after I took the shot, we got drunk and looped on Xanax and had sex. I never saw him again after that. His voicemail was always full, and he never answered the phone. I knocked and knocked on his door across campus. That November, someone told me he had dropped out of school and gone back to San Antonio. It was the only photo I had of Bobby. I couldn't hang it on my wall or Todd would know what we'd done. So I kept it pressed flat in the pages of my notebook. I snuck it out during class, at lunch, on the bus. He was so beautiful, even with this comic tongue. I soon stopped noticing the girl with the donkey. That half of the picture simply vanished from my perception. The next fall, I had a new roommate, a beak-nosed, bare-voiced kid from Houston. I finally felt safe enough to tack my photo of Bobby upon the wall over my bunk. It had been up for only a few moments before the kids started asking questions. Why is that guy looking at the picture? He looked closer. And why is that ugly girl holding a donkey? I tried to explain. Thomas Kearns is an atheist and an Eagle Scout from East Texas. His stories have appeared in Night Train, 3AM Magazine, Smoke Along Quarterly, Tomenos, Wigleaf, Word Riot, and other publications. Citadella, written by Julia Phillips, read by Ann Rushton. Listening time, 9 minutes, 15 seconds. Every afternoon of that dark summer in Budapest, Sophie found herself breathless and distracted in anticipation of Selma's homecoming. In the mornings, she was able to take walks or practice her flashcards in the hazy light of the park. But as the end of his workday neared, she began swinging in long orbits around their block, gravitating back to the small blue apartment. Once finally there, she'd lean over their kitchen counter, wiping down the tile with one hand, and pressing the other to her stomach where her skin tingled as if it were conducting electricity. She hovered around their bedroom, biting the tender skin of her lips, folding their clothes or making the bed two or three times in a row. Inevitably, twenty minutes before he was due home, her pretense of housework became useless. She pulled his desk chair to their bedroom window instead and watched for him in the street. Their apartment house, made of rough cement, rested on the edge of the Danube, and from this window she could see a small market square, flat-topped boats rocking in the current, and Gellert Hill on the other side of the water. She had seen the hill illuminated by the sun only once, briefly, the fourth week she was there. The occasion was momentous. She'd taken a picture to show her mother. The rest of her time it was covered in shadow. At its peak stood the lone statue of a woman, her posture perfect, her head back, her arms raised to the sky, and above that there were only the thick and constant clouds. She had thought that in coming to Budapest with Soma she would discover a nation of people who looked like him, babies and girls and men who were smooth-faced, sweet-lipped, and solemn. 
she expected a nation of brothers. Instead, she found milling around the city hundreds of skin types and body types, wide noses and thin mouths, high forehead and heavy eyelids, hair that ranged from straw to yarn. She had to ask Soma for clarification after their first week there. What do Hungarian people look like? He laughed for a long time. To you, maybe a little starving, he'd said, and from the shelter of their sheets pointed out the same window to the cluster of girls below with flat stomachs and shadowed cheeks. Above the street the clouds sat, strangely fat, settled together like stacks of bread. When she finally caught sight of him on those evenings after his work, all her muscles tightened and released in a shudder of joy radiating from her abdomen. His dark, close-cropped hair, the delicate bone of his skull, the smooth planes of his cheeks, his thick brows tilting up in constant consternation. It was a delight to watch him strut, lips pursed, head lowered, shoulders forward through the crowds. Sophie salivated, hearing his key in the door. She led him by the hand into their neaten bedroom and began slowly to uncover him, a ritual she adored and pretended not to know he dreaded. Some dressed in loose denim and slack-collared shirts, baseball caps and leather jacket. Article by article, she removed his heavy clothing to reveal the slim, golden female body underneath. His clavicles protruded, his breasts were soft and high, a shallow valley extended from his sternum to his navel each time he exhaled, a swell cushioned his lower stomach. His legs were lean and taut. She ran her pale hands over his exposed skin, sucked on his fingers, kissed his knees, pushed their salty bodies together. Loving him felt like breaking the rules. She was in a foreign land, wrapped around someone who existed impossibly between genders, mapping the contours and crevices of his unexplored form. Sophie cupped her slender hands around his breast one late night in August and kissed his neck. I have looked online, he said, his voice crackling in the stillness of the blue-gray night, and I think I am to get a mastectomy. She flexed her fingers against his softness, but, she said, you don't really have to do that, do you? He muttered something too quick for her to catch. While she waited for him to shift his arguments into English, she pressed the length of her body to his, trying to keep them both intact. You do not want me to change this. She didn't say anything back. Selma spoke her language slowly, carefully, spinning out each fragile thought like a silkworm. She had learned patience there, between these long days learning vocabulary and those clouded nights waiting for him to explain. I am like a, he began again, and lifted his hand from her cheek to sketch his meaning in the air above them. I am trying always to trick people to believe that I am a man, but I cannot trick me, not while I come home and, and, she said, her throat tight, come home and love you like I am a woman. That's not true, she said, and pressed her head into his shoulder to shake it emphatically. He shrugged, dismissing her falsehood. Sophie cupped her hands to more closely fit the swell of his breasts. Her face was buried in the sweet-smelling curve at the base of his neck, and suddenly she was overwhelmed and frantic. She needed his body to stay a woman's. She needed him to shed his disguises only for her. She needed for him to remain unexpected and unblemished. She opened her mouth against his skin. Around their apartment building, the clouds moved, murmuring in heavy layers. 
Sophie had needed to sight these Hungarian clouds to finally convince her family back in Clayton that she hadn't crossed the ocean on a whim. "'You don't understand,' she'd said, tucked into the luminous plastic of a payphone. "'It's dirty here. It's gloomy. I'm not here on vacation. I'm here because I'm in love.' Her mother had clicked her tongue in exasperation at this, but said nothing for once, and so Sophie was able to listen furtively to the noises of home. The regular hiss of her mother's breath, the distant chopping of a blade on a cutting board, the hum of the refrigerator barely detectable in the background. Summer times in Clayton, for each of Sophie's twenty-three years, had been half obliterated by the sun. She and her younger brothers drank lemonade and wore iron t-shirts. Her mother had set out stacks of immaculate china for Sunday dinners. They drove as a family to the drugstore one day in every August to buy reams of lined paper and new fluorescent three-ring binders. She had kissed her first girlfriend, a tall brunette with an overbite and broad shoulders, in a backyard surrounded by white picket fence. She had played with frisbees there, had glimmering braces cemented on and off there, slammed doors and jumped rope and saluted the flag there. Clayton smelled like baby carrots and jello pudding. Clayton tasted like Dr. Pepper lip smackers. Selma smelled of hot cologne, like the last bits left over in a cup of apple cider. She had chosen him, Selma to love in the face of Clayton's smooth sidewalks and floodlit garages, Selma to follow when his visa expired and he was forced back to Hungary without the degree he had hoped for, Selma to wait as he struggled to explain to the officials at the embassy how his passport had declared one sex and his driver's license another. Selma to escape the Midwest with. Selma to lie in bed with, to uncover under the cover of Budapest's dark sky. The clouds were what had convinced her mother, who had chosen Clayton's yellow school buses and hopscotch grids, that Sophie was serious. Sophie knew this was so, and never bothered to explain that they were what made Budapest worthwhile. In direct light, the buildings were plain, their pockmarks revealed, and the people had scars and stubble and the streets grew steamy and foul with trash. But under the clouds, the city was revealed. Sophie sat out those mornings of June, July, August in the park by their apartment, studying flashcards without needing to squint, and watching the world show details she'd only ever seen in still lives before. Copper rooftops could be divided into panels and mossy patches, Jeweled embellishments could be distinguished between ornate tiles. The wrinkles painted onto a stone saint's sleeve were discovered. She could find every crack on the yellow walls, the steam room, and the bathhouse. In such a dark, exact world, she could not bear to come home to Selma's body if it no longer blurred the lines between man and woman, or if it bore the marks of a surgeon or a stranger. Out in the window, the clouds shivered and churned. She ran her fingers down his golden stomach and felt goosebumps follow in her wake. The End Julia Phillips's work has been published in Drunken Boat and selected for Glimmer Train's Short Story Award for New Writers Competition. She currently attends Barnard College. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.